Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we hope next Lord's Day to celebrate the blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are called to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. For the Apostle Paul has written, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Therefore you should examine your life, and considering your own sin and the wrath of God against it, be sure that you humble yourself in repentance before God. Examine your heart to be sure that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, believing that your sins are forgiven wholly by grace because of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. Finally, examine your conscience to be sure that you resolve to live in faith and obedience before your Lord and in love and peace with your neighbor. God will surely receive at the table of his Son all who truly repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and desire to do his will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus and who have no desire to lead a godly life, are warned according to the command of God to keep themselves from the Holy Sacrament. If any one of us is living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with his neighbor, he must repent of his sin and reconcile himself to his neighbor before he comes to the Lord's table. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This solemn warning is not designed, however, to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the Holy Sacrament. We do not come to the supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners and that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Although we do not have perfect faith, do not serve and love God with all our hearts, and do not love our neighbors as we ought, we are confident that the Savior accepts us at his table when we come in humble faith with sorrow for our sins and with a will to follow him as he commands. And since it is necessary for us to come to the sacrament in good conscience, we urge any who lack this confidence to seek from the minister or any elder of this church such counsel as may quiet his conscience or lead to the conversion of his life. All then who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and who earnestly desire to lead a godly life ought to accept the invitation now given and come with gladness to the table of their Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, who has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ and provided a most wonderful communion with him through the mystery of the sacrament, we need your grace to enable us to prepare our hearts for the reception of Holy Communion. To all who sincerely believe in your Son and truly repent of their sins, grant assurance of your gracious readiness to receive and bless them in the supper of their Lord. To all who have not repented and who have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, Grant a restraining fear of this supper, lest their condemnation be the greater. But have mercy upon these, and grant them grace to repent of their sins and seek their salvation in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, O Father, that we have all offended your majesty and deserved your judgment. We have transgressed in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. There is indeed no strength in us. Be merciful, O God, and grant us your pardon and let us come to the sacrament at the joy of your forgiving love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you, the Holy Spirit, the one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Our scripture reading is taken from John chapter 11, 
John chapter 11, the, on page um, 1,236 in the Pew Bible, 1,236. I'll read the first 17 verses of John 11. <clears throat> now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that he heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to, his, to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. But when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the 11th chapter of John's gospel describes the great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, some months ago, uh, when I was preaching to you regularly, we went through uh, the first 10 chapters, and I mentioned to you that uh, there were seven great miracles described in John's gospel. Uh, of course, John makes clear that there were other miracles as well, but he, he focuses on seven great miracles miracles, and this raising of Lazarus is the seventh. This is the, the final uh, miracle of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry before his death. Of course, uh, an even greater miracle will follow with his own resurrection, but uh, during his uh, time before his death, there are these seven great miracles, uh, changing water to wine, healing the, the nobleman's son from a great uh, distance, uh, healing at the pool of Bethesda, a man who had been uh, uh, disabled for 38 years, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, and then uh, healing the man who had been born blind, and now uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, up to this point, Jesus has shown himself to be the, uh, the water of life, the bread of life, and the light of life. Now he is the, uh, the giver of life and the restorer of life. Well, the first thing that we want to take note of with regard to this great miracle is that uh, it was performed 
for a family whom Jesus loved. Jesus loved this family. Uh, uh, he has a history with this family. This is the family that uh, is described in a, another gospel where Jesus uh, visited and Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was anxious about many things. Uh, showing hospitality is a, a sacred duty, a duty that we also are commanded to uh, exercise and perform. But uh, Martha's uh, problem was not that she was showing hospitality, but that she was so anxious about it. And uh, uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, uh, warned against being anxious about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. You know, the pagans run after these things, but uh, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. And Mary was sitting at the master's feet, seeking first the kingdom of God, and uh, Martha was rebuked for her anxiety. Uh, so he, he has a, a history with this family. They live in Bethany, which is just a short distance from Jerusalem, about uh, just a little over one and a half miles from Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus could walk it uh, perhaps in 45, 50 minutes uh, from Bethany to Jerusalem. And we find Jesus at their home in the next chapter as well, in chapter 12 of John's Gospel. And and that has uh, led uh, a lot of scholars to speculate that perhaps Jesus visited their home often and, and used it as his home base when he went to Jerusalem. He could stay at their house at night and be in Jerusalem in the morning, spend the day in Jerusalem, and then go back to uh, Bethany at night uh, to spend the night again with his friends in, uh, in Bethany. Uh, he has a history with this family, and his love for the family and for Lazarus is well attested uh, here and, and elsewhere. Uh, the sisters send word, the one whom you love, or he whom you love, is, is sick. And then uh, John the Gospel writer says, now Jesus loved Lazarus and, uh, and, and Martha and her sister. Uh, and uh, later on, I didn't read uh, uh, the, uh, the rest of the chapter, but I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that uh, when Jesus stood at the tomb, uh, he wept uh, with grief for the death of Lazarus. And the, the crowds who, who had come out to comfort Mary and Martha in the death of their brother saw Jesus weeping and remarked, see how he loved him, see how he loved him. His love is also attested by the fact that although he delayed, he did go. And uh, he did raise Lazarus from the dead. And before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he comforted uh, Martha and her sister. Uh, so yes, his, his love is, is quite evident. There's no doubt about the fact that Jesus loves Lazarus and Jesus loves his sisters and, and this family. They are very near and dear to him. With regard to this, it, it's good to take note of the fact that I'm sure you've heard this before, that in the Greek language, there are different words for love. There are three main words for love in Greek that are translated by the one English word, love. Uh, in the Greek language, there is agape love, which is self-sacrificial service. Uh, it's not an emotional thing. In fact, you can, you can love people with agape love that you don't even know. Uh, you do that, 
uh, every time uh, you bring an offering for some mission cause and the money is sent uh, around the world to help people that you've never met, never seen, never heard of, uh, well, you heard of them, but uh, you don't know them. But because you sacrifice by giving of your uh, gifts generously for their well-being, uh, you are loving them with agape love. You can even uh, love people with agape love that you don't like. You know, the apostle in uh, Romans 12 says, uh, pray for those uh, who uh, uh, do, do you ill, uh, uh, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you, uh, and uh, you're doing good for them. They don't like you, and you probably don't like them, but you, you sacrifice, you, you go out of your way to try to help them. Uh, to overcome uh, their hatred and so forth. And so agape love is, is self-sacrificial service. Uh, that's, of course, the, the great love that Christ has for his people, that he sacrifices himself for our well-being. While we were yet sinners, he loved us and, and gave himself for us. That's agape love. But then there's another kind of love in, in Scripture. There's uh, philos and phileo uh, or whatever. And um, that's uh, companionship love, brotherly love. That's, that's the kind of love you have for the people that you enjoy being with, uh, the, the people that you are, are near and dear to your heart. And uh, it's uh, the kind of love you have for the people whose, whose company you enjoy. And it, it's good for you to re recognize that Jesus has that kind of love for his people as well. That's, that's what the sisters say to Jesus, uh, the one whom you love with uh, philos, uh, uh, that's the, uh, the one you, you like, is sick. And again, when the crowds saw uh, the tears, they said that's the word they used to describe Jesus' love. Look, look how he has a tender heart of compassion for Lazarus and, that he, and for the family and, and the grief that they are uh, experiencing. And it's good to note that that our Savior not only has agape love for us, he also has this uh, phileo love for us, this companionship love for us. It reminds me of the fact that three times in the Bible, Abraham is uh, called a friend of God. Not just that God loved him, but Abraham was God's friend. Twice in the Old Testament and then in the book of James, we read uh, in James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And God showed his friendship to Abraham by coming to him and, and, and putting his feet under Abraham's table and having a meal with Abraham. And God showed his friendship to, to Abraham by revealing to Abraham what he was about to do. He reveals his plans to his friend, both his plan for Sodom and Gomorrah, his, his plan for Abraham's uh, descendants uh, spending time in Egypt and then coming back to the land, and his plan that one of Abraham's seed would be the one through all the, the nations of the earth would be blessed and that kings would come from Abraham. God revealed a lot of the future to Abraham because Abraham was his friend. Uh, Jesus uh, speaks the same way to his uh, disciples in uh, John 15, verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls his disciples friends, and he also calls us to his table and invites us to share a meal with him as we do in the Lord's Supper and as we will do in the marriage supper of the Lamb in the age to come. And Jesus also reveals his plans for us. Uh, Not uh, every detail of our lives, but uh, we know that uh, much of the future uh, because uh, Christ has uh, revealed it to us. And when we see Jesus uh, weeping, we see that he has that his heart is knit to the, to the lives of these people. He is, is filled with sorrow and grief. Uh, he shares their grief. How often have you cried <laughs> and tears come down your face? You know, there's a psalm, I think it's Psalm 56, that says, uh, he, he, God, puts all your tears in a bottle, which means He sees your tears. He notes your tears. He takes account of your tears. He he knows that you've been crying and and he shares your grief and your sorrow. And one day, he's going to stand on the earth and he's going to reach up his hand and tenderly, gently, compassionately wipe those tears from your eye. Jesus is a compassionate, kind, loving Savior. Just as parents' hearts are are bound to their children and and parents can't ever truly be happy as long as any one of their children is uh, unhappy or in trouble, so Christ's heart is bound to his people. We know that he became fully human and experienced all that we experience, was tempted in every way as we are tempted so that he might be sympathetic, so that he might understand and and come to us and say, I understand your troubles. I know what you're going through. You can find in him a friend who is kind-hearted and caring, one who understands, who is a, a true friend in time of need. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying what I have heard some evangelical preachers say, that Jesus just wants to be your friend. And he loves you just the way you are. That's a a perversion of of this truth. Uh, Jesus doesn't just want to be your friend. He's so much more than that. He is our Savior and our Lord. He is the King of kings. And and we must honor him as such. And he doesn't just love us the way we are. His his love is is a transforming love. He he looks at us and he sees our sin and he says, because I love you, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that sin. I'm I'm going to get rid of it. And he does that uh, two ways. He he does it first by coming to to die for our sins, to pay the price for our sins, as we read from Romans 3, to be the propitiation for our sins, to satisfy the justice of God so that the anger of God is wiped away and, and God is no longer angry with us. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His atoning death deals with the guilt of our sin. And after he has dealt with the guilt of our sin, then he deals with the corruption of our sin by sending his spirit and giving us his word so that by the Spirit and through the Word, we are transformed. Transformed from one degree of glory to another with a glory that doesn't fade, 
unlike Moses' glory that faded, our, our glory gets better and better as we are transformed more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in true righteousness and, and knowledge and, and holiness. When uh, you see that he, he loves you, and when you see that he voluntarily came to die for you, to save you, then your heart is drawn to him in faith and in love. And you want to, to return that love and to uh, seek to please him by, by doing his will more and more. When you recognize that he is a Savior and Lord and love him for all that he has done for you, that is when you're able to experience him also as a, as a friend. You know, this goes back to the very reason for which we were created. You know, why were we created in the image of God? Of all the creatures of the earth, human beings are unique in that they are image bearers of God. And what does that mean? It means we're created for him, uh, to know him, to love him, and above all, to, to be with him. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. What made it paradise was that Adam and Eve had fellowship, close communion and fellowship with God, a relationship of intimacy and love. And uh, had they not sinned, uh, those four rivers that went out in four directions would have spread the joy uh, and the blessings of Eden to the, to the ends of the earth. That's what God has in store for his people. Let me just say a word to the, to the teenagers here. Uh, friendship is very important when you're a teenager. I, it's been a long time since I was a teenager, but I still remember that, that having a friend or having friends is is extremely important, and teenagers spend a lot of time worrying about that and being anxious about that, because even though you can have a, a friend at school or a dozen friends at school and maybe a, a hundred friends on social media, there are times when, when you have doubts and fears and you hear, you hear some people gossiping about somebody else and saying mean things about them behind their back, and you wonder, do they say, say mean things about me behind my back? Do, do I really have a friend? Well, yes, you do have a friend, and that friend is Jesus. Jesus who loved you and gave his life for you, and Jesus who now comes to you through his word and spirit. So listen, listen to him, listen to his word, and, and talk to him, talk to him in prayer. And know that as you come to him in humility and faith with sorrow for your sin and trusting in him, that he is your friend, the best friend you'll ever have. Yes, Jesus loved this family, not just with agape love, which is foundational to all other loves, but he loved them also with companionship love, with a warm-hearted, uh, tender-hearted love. But that raises a big question, doesn't it? If Jesus loves them in this way, why? Why did he let Lazarus die? Why did he let the family suffer? Why did he wait two days until Lazarus was dead when he was a four-day journey away and, and wouldn't arrive until four days after his death? Why did he put him through, through all that grief? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He says it in verse 4. This illness is not unto death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, let's look at that answer. First he says, this illness is not unto death. 
the main verb in that sentence is the verb is, a form of the uh, infinitive to be, and uh, to be or is is a, a word that describes the en- essence of something. You know, we say God is love, and that means uh, love is of the essence of God. And what Jesus is saying here, uh, liter- very literally, is this illness is not death. The essence of this illness is not death. And that's, that's true both positively and negatively. It's, it's true negatively because although the, the illness includes death, it doesn't end in death. Uh, it ends in glorious resurrection and uh, restoration to life. Uh, although Lazarus died, uh, Jesus raised him so that death would not have the last word about this illness. Uh, the essence of this illness is not death. But it's also true because the essence of this illness positively is the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. For Jesus to be glorified in this way, Lazarus had to die. Uh, Jesus couldn't raise him from the dead unless he was dead, and so he had to die so that Jesus could raise him from the dead. And when Jesus raised him from the dead, then Jesus' glory was demonstrated, the glory of his power, the power over death, the power to uh, preserve life and and, uh, bring life back from the dead. Now, saying that this illness is for the glory of God and and that the Son of God might be glorified through it uh, might seem, well, it might seem cruel uh, and, and heartless to many. They might wonder, uh, I have to suffer so that he can be glorified? Really? Do I have to die so that he can be glorified? My sisters have to mourn for me for four days so that he might be glorified? What's going on here? Jesus, why are you doing this to us? Well, let's ask, why did Jesus want to be glorified? Well, he wanted to be glorified so that we would see his glory. And why did he want us to see his glory? Was he on some kind of ego trip? No. He wants us to see his glory so that we see he's worth believing in him. him. You know, are you going to put your faith in, in, uh, say you're sick and and you hear there's a doctor in town, but uh, none of his patients ever get well? Are you going to go see that doctor whose patients never get well? No, you have no confidence in him. But if you see a doctor who has a great, amazing uh, track record of healing almost everybody who comes to, yeah, that's the doctor I want to go to. He, he's a good doctor, you know. Well, Jesus, is, if he just shows himself to be, a, uh, well, uh, another, another King David with uh, all sorts of flaws who dies, and after he's died can't help anybody, uh, are you going to put your faith in him? But no, you put your faith in somebody who has the power to do amazing things like raise people from the dead. You know, John introduced us to Jesus in the first chapter of John's Gospel by saying, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only uh, begotten of the Father, full of, full of what? Full of grace, full of truth. We saw glory, and seeing glory we see grace, grace for lost sinners, truth, truth that sets the, 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 the captive free, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, says Jesus. Uh, you'll see his grace and truth. Jesus shows us his glory because he wants us to believe in him. 
And he wants us to believe in him because by believing in him, we are saved. Saved from sin, saved from the grave, saved from death, saved for eternal life. He's not on some ego trip. He's he's here to help us. And in order to help us, we have to see his glory so that we're drawn to him. Uh, the, uh, the reason that, that you know, Jesus glorifying himself uh, is, is a problem for some, or Jesus letting uh, Lazarus die is a problem for some, is because uh, many people in the world today tend to hold to the idea that God exists for the sole purpose of making us happy and that salvation should be just freedom from pain and freedom from poverty and freedom from sorrow, a great life now. But we would never avail ourselves of his mercy if he did not allow us to see and to experience how awful sin is and how awful the fruits of sin are. You know, a disease with no symptoms is the worst kind of disease because if, you, if it has no symptoms, you don't know you have it. And if you don't know you have it, you'll never seek the cure. You'll, you'll die from it because it just went undetected. Jesus says, you're sick, sin sick. And, and I, I want you to see the symptoms. I want you to feel the symptoms so that you will, you will cry out for mercy. The Bible says all discipline is painful to bear, but it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who, who submit, to it, submit to it. You know, your, your happiness in this life is not God's goal for you in this life. God's goal for you now is that you come to a knowledge of your sin and misery and, and cry out to him for mercy and uh, and that you demonstrate that your faith is real by trusting in him no matter what and, and waiting patiently for the salvation that is ready to be revealed when Christ comes again. God's plan for you is happiness, but it's a future happiness. Set your hope fully, says the Bible, on the grace that will be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. That's when the fullness of our salvation comes. Now, now you have to suffer grief through all kinds of trials so that you know that you need him and call out to him and trust in him. Well, there's one more thing we need to consider here, and that's Jesus' encouragement given to his disciples. After he waits two days, he says to his disciples, come on, I'm, I'm going to go back to Judea. At the end of the last chapter, he had pretty much uh, fled Judea, fled Jerusalem, uh, because uh, he had said at the Feast of Dedication, I and the Father are one. And when the uh, Jewish leaders heard that, they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. And it wasn't his time to die yet, so he, he went four days' journey to the east, out to the Jordan River, where John the Baptist uh, had uh, <clears throat> uh, baptized and that's where he hears the news that Lazarus is ill and where he stays two days. But now, now he knows that Lazarus is dead. He has uh, supernatural knowledge and he knows uh, he's waited until Lazarus is dead. And, and when he knows Lazarus is dead, he says to his disciples, let's go back. Let's go back to Judea. The disciples are aghast at the thought of returning to Judea where, where quite, quite recently Jesus' uh, life was in danger. They don't uh, want to go back, but Jesus assures them 
As long as you walk in the light, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. Uh, uh, God will take care of you. Uh, he's using a, uh, walking in the light as a metaphor here for uh, doing the Father's will. As long as you do what you know the Father wants you to do, as long as you obey his commands. Uh, here, uh, Jesus uh, has knowledge from the Father concerning the plan of salvation. He's been revealing it to his disciples, saying, I have to go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees and, and be put to death and on the third day rise again. He knows that and he knows how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen and where it's going to happen. And he's walking in the light and uh, he's doing the, the will of his Father in heaven. And if you do the will of my Father in heaven, then God's plan for you will be fulfilled and uh, everything will, will turn out for the best. Uh, he'll work all things together for your good and for your salvation. He knows what he's doing. And uh, uh, of course, it includes his crucifixion. You know, he's about to go perform this great miracle. And uh, the great miracle uh, incites his enemies to put him to death uh, right away during the Feast of, of Passover. Uh, their original plan was, let's wait until the feast is over. So because the, the crowds are here during this time and the crowds might get angry if we put Jesus to death. So let's wait until the feast is over. But when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the, his enemies say, we can't wait any longer. It doesn't matter whether the crowds are here at night or not. We have to put him to death now. And so he was put to death on the Passover uh, according to the plan of God. You know, we should, we should learn from this not to be afraid of what the world might do to us if we practice righteousness and speak the truth in love. There are all kinds of things that, that we know God wants us to do and, and we're sometimes afraid to do them because we think, oh, there's going to be a kickback, there's going to be trouble if we, if we do the right thing. And uh, no, just, just do the right thing and God will take care of you. Uh, if the world hates you, he'll do one of two things, you know. He'll either protect you from the harm that the world intends or he'll let you be martyred, which is not a bad thing because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, as has been said uh, down through the ages. Uh, uh, many people have been converted when they've seen the faith of martyrs. And uh, it would be a wonderful thing if, uh, if we are martyred for the faith and because of it, the strength of our brothers and sisters is strengthened and many unbelievers come to faith because... We were faithful unto Christ to, uh, unto death. Uh, God will work it all together for good. We don't need to be afraid. Uh, um, uh, we just uh, need to uh, walk in the light. Uh, that is, do what uh, he says is right. But Jesus also explains now to his disciples the purpose of his trip. He says, I, I want to go and awaken Lazarus. Now, they didn't understand the reference uh, to sleep. Uh, they thought he was talking about natural sleep. Uh, this, is, this isn't the first place in the Bible where death is referred to as sleep. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Kings and Chronicles, uh, many of the kings who died were said to have slept with their fathers. And uh, Daniel, in Daniel 12, verse 2, talks about those who sleep in the dust of death arising to everlasting life. Uh, and so Jesus picks up that uh, euphemism for death, that way of speaking about death which takes away some of the harshness of it and and that's good because the the sting of death has been removed death is not something to be feared we shouldn't fear death any more than uh, we fear falling asleep uh, by the way uh, jesus is not endorsing the erroneous teaching of uh, soul sleep that 
that when we die, our souls go to sleep and we're unconscious and, and our next conscious moment is the resurrection. Um, there's obvious evidence in Scripture that that's not the case, that when, our, when we die, our souls go to heaven and they very, are much awake. We see that with Moses. Moses died, but Moses was able to have a conversation with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, Peter, in the book of Revelation, hears the, uh, the souls of the martyrs crying out to God for final justice. Uh, they are very much awake and aware. And uh, so, uh, yes, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain because we go to be with him and see him in his heavenly glory. Uh, but we shouldn't be too hard here on the disciples for misunderstanding Jesus. Uh, uh, earlier, he, Jesus had said he was ill, then he said he's asleep, and then he says he's going to go wake him up. Uh, it's natural to assume that Jesus was speaking about uh, natural sleep. Plus, they didn't want Jesus to go, and so they're inclined to interpret his words in, the, in a way that supports their idea that there's no need to go. Um, but Jesus uh, assures them, that uh, uh, they, uh, they need not uh, be afraid. Uh, he, uh, the purpose of Lazarus' death is to uh, advance their faith. He says, uh, he's dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that we were not there so that you might believe. Here he's saying again, my glorification is for your benefit. It's for your faith so that you might believe, and by believing have life that persists even after death. He's encouraging their weak faith. Their weak faith is, is evident uh, in uh, Thomas's exclamation, you know, okay guys, let's go, let's go die with him. Uh, he's, not, he's not convinced that Jesus is gonna be able to raise Lazarus from the dead. He thinks that if they go anywhere near Jerusalem, the first thing that's gonna happen is that Jesus and anybody who's close to Jesus is gonna be put to death. Uh, he's uh, exhibiting some uh, lack of faith here. But uh, the disciples are not alone in thinking that if you follow Jesus, uh, you're gonna get in trouble. Uh, lots of people think that following Jesus is impractical or doomed to failure or, or not the right way to go about things. Jesus shows us in this passage that if you do what's right, if you follow him, he'll take care of you. The disciples weren't put to death. Jesus was put to death, but that was according to the will of his Father in heaven. That was all part of its plan, and that too has worked out for good for the salvation of all who believe in him. If you follow Jesus, don't fear the world. Don't fear that uh, things are going to go all sour. Uh, just do the right thing. The proverb says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. Love us not only with a self-sacrificial love, but with a warm-hearted, tender-hearted love and that you are the friend of sinners who trust in you. We pray, O oh Father, that you would work such faith in our hearts daily and teach us to trust you in the hard things of life, not fearing what the world might do to us, but persevering in following Jesus, knowing that he will work all things together for our good. We ask this in Christ's name.
Amen.